0: Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street em. Today's date is March 8th, 2019, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is, She Works Hard for the Money, Time's Up in Healthcare. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Esther Chu. She is an emergency physician and researcher who studies health disparities, substance use disorders, and gender bias. Esther is an associate professor at Oregon Health and Sciences University and also is a founding member of the nonprofit Time's Up Healthcare. Welcome to the SGEM, Esther.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be
0: on. Oh, I have been wanting to get you back on the SGEM for at least 18 months now since we did Stronger Together.
1: Oh, I know. I've been wanting to come back on too. I've missed you.
0: But there's been an incredible amount of activity just recently with this whole Time's Up in Healthcare campaign. Can you explain to the one, because there's only got to be one S-Gemmer out there (laughs) who has not heard of this?
1: I appreciate that opportunity. Yeah, Time's Up Healthcare just launched this past week, and it is an initiative of Time's Up, uh, which is the organization that started in Hollywood uh, and really shines a light on sexual harassment and gender inequity in a lot of fields. And so we are their latest initiative. We'll be bringing a lot of information, education, and also concrete resources and, and targets so that organizations can really work towards having safer and more equitable workplaces.
0: Well, time's up, and the clock has run out on sexual assault, harassment, and inequities in the workplace. It's time to do something about it. So today, the s we're doing something about it. And it was Chris Bond who was originally scheduled to do this s hop episode with me. And we were talking about it and we're like, you know what, this feels kind of weird having two men talking about the issue of gender pay gap. And so we reached out to the smartest person we know about this problem. And that's you, Esther. Oh,
1: I appreciate that.
0: And it's also International Women's Day. It couldn't get any more meta.
1: It is the perfect day to be recording this podcast.
0: So do you have anything special planned for International Women's Day? Are you doing anything special on this day?
1: I am just spending the day celebrating my female colleagues around the country who are doing awesome things to make the world a better place.
0: Well, let's get this podcast started with a case.
1: Sure. So in this case, a female colleague is being hired for an ED attending job and wants to know why her pay is less than that of a male counterpart at the same hospital with the same years of training and the same accomplishments.
0: Salary disparities between men and women have existed, um, let's see now, forever. And despite efforts such as the Equal Pay Act of 1963, this disparity continues to exist. And this gap is seen across numerous professions, including law, marketing, administration, and medicine. In the United States, women working full-time are typically paid 80% of what men are paid. That's 80 cents on the dollar.
1: Yeah, and according to one 2010 study, the disparity in medicine is actually one of the highest for any professional industry. In healthcare, it trails only dentistry. Women now represent about half of medical school graduates and 38% of faculty members in U.S. medical schools. But after controlling for multiple factors and things that you would think of as being potential confounders like specialty in medicine, age, their rank, their metrics of productivity, we still find that male physicians earn about $20,000 more per year than their female counterparts.
0: In Canada... This gender disparity also exists and occurs across specialties within academia. So what's the clinical question we're going to try to answer today, Esther?
1: So today we're asking, is there a difference in compensation for men and women emergency physicians practicing in the United States?
0: And what's the reference?
1: What we're looking at today uh, is by Weiler et al., It's Continuation of Gender Disparities in Pay Among Academic Emergency Medicine Physicians. And this is appearing in the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal in
0: March. Oh, yes. This one is hot off the press, Esther. And in (laughs) fact, Academic Emergency Medicine, AEM, is dedicating the whole month of March edition. The whole journal is about gender.
1: That's right. We really wanted to take a look at the careers of women in emergency medicine.
0: And so let's run through the PICO. What was the population?
1: So this study was looking at academic emergency medicine physicians in the United States.
0: What was the intervention?
1: No intervention for this study. This is a cross-sectional observational study of academic emergency physician salaries across the United States. This was done over four years. From 2013 and 2017, that seems like it's five years of data, but 2014 was excluded.
0: And what did they compare it to?
1: We're comparing men and women emergency physicians.
0: And what was their outcome?
1: They were primarily looking at the adjusted median annual base salary for these physicians.
0: Well, as previously mentioned, this is an SGEM hot off the press episode, which means we have the lead author on the show. Dr. Jennifer Weiler is a professor and executive vice chair, Department of Emergency Medicine, CU School of Medicine, and Professor CU School of Business. She has served in numerous state and national leadership positions, including chair of the American Medical Association Women's Physician Congress. Welcome to the SGEM, Jennifer.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So I know this might seem a little redundant, but what prompted you to do this study? Was somebody paying you less? (laughs)
2: That's a great question. Over my career, absolutely. The reason I uh, myself and my colleagues did this study is because as was described in your introduction, uh, disparities uh, in salary across industries have existed for a long time. But looking at our own uh, specialty in emergency medicine is one that we thought was important to shine the light on.
0: So would it be fair to say you thought time's up? Time's up for this gender pay gap? Absolutely. Good. Okay. Well, why don't you give us the conclusions of your study and then Esther and I will run through the checklist and the key results and then we'll bring you back to Talk Nerdy, okay? So if you can give us your author's conclusions.
2: The conclusions of our study were that Despite previously published data showing an inappropriate gender salary gap in emergency medicine, this gap has remained essentially unchanged over the past four years.
0: Okay, Esther, time to come back and do the quality checklist with me for observational studies. So did this study address a clearly focused issue? Yes. Did the authors use an appropriate method to answer their question? Yes. Was the cohort recruited in an acceptable way? Yes. Was the exposure accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes. And was the outcome accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes. Have Jennifer and her colleagues identified all important confounding factors?
1: No. There were many important confounding factors included, but the respondents weren't necessarily the same physicians year to year who were included in the response, and so there certainly would be turnover and promotion and other things.
0: Was the follow-up of subjects complete enough?
1: This is hard to say. Follow-up was long in that the study was over four separate years, but we don't know if we looking at the same exact physicians each year.
0: How precise are the results?
1: They are precise with narrow confidence intervals.
0: Do you believe the results, Esther?
1: Yes, this is entirely consistent with many other studies on the subject.
0: So what you're saying is when, when you read this paper, you were not shocked. You didn't have to sit down first. You were like, oh yeah, I knew that.
1: Yes. Yes, I almost could have guessed the results before I read the paper.
0: Can the results be applied to your local population?
1: Well, it depends, I think, is the answer. I mean, this is a study done in academic settings. Um, I work in a setting where a lot of our pay is not salary-based. Many people work in private practice where it really is uh, more of fee-for-service and it's based on your RVUs. And so I think it is applicable to some people, and it may also be different outside the United States. And Ken, you can speak more to that.
0: I I just like the fact that you said, it all depends. (laughs) The 11th and final question, does this study really fit with other available evidence?
1: There's a nice body of evidence that has been emerging that is really consistent with the findings of this study by Dr. Weiler and her team.
0: Well, let's go through her study with the key results. They had just over 7,000 respondents over that time period from 2013 to 2017, excluding that one year from 2014. And they had 81 emergency departments represented in this. And there were four geographic regions within the US. Now, most of them, over a third, were from the Northeast. 65, or almost two-thirds of respondents, were male. And they reported working in a pure academic emergency department setting. So 94%. So that's the type of survey you're getting. What was the one big take-home line? Women
1: EM physicians make significantly less per year than men emergency medicine physicians.
0: And some of the other results were that the median salary increase for males or men was higher than for women.
1: That's right. Um, We also saw that overall salaries increased across all four years with an overall increase about 11%. And that was approximately the same between men and women.
0: The overall difference in salary for men was higher, and this was significant at all four time points.
1: And the key thing is that this pay difference persisted in the predictive model even after controlling for all the covariates.
0: And if you looked at between 2016 and 2017 women's salaries increased at a rate of about 7% compared to a 4% increase for men.
1: And the other thing to note is that at all time points, the proportion of respondents at higher academic ranks and higher salaries was always greater for men than for women.
0: All right, those are the key results. Now it's time to talk a little nerdy. And there were so many questions to discuss with this paper that we're going to do two sets of my favorite number. That's five. And I'm going to start with the first question. Jennifer, hopefully you're still on the line. Here it is. You ready? I am. This is number one, response rate. This was not reported in the study. Can you comment on what the response rate was to your survey?
2: This survey that we analyzed uh, was produced uh, by uh, two membership organizations that you may be familiar with. Those were uh, the AACEM, or the Association of Academic Chairs in Emergency Medicine, and the AAAEM, the Academy of Administrators in Academic Emergency Medicine. Try saying that quickly three times. When they put out uh, the survey, unfortunately, uh, we did not know what the total denominator
1: was when we did this analysis. So our second point is about selection bias. These surveys were sent to listservs for AAAEM and AACEM. Those are the groups for administrators and chairs in emergency medicine in SAEM. These are academic emergency departments that were queried. So how do we know that this sample is representative of all US emergency physician groups? Uh,
2: That is a good question. My understanding is that the membership represents at least 95% uh, of all the academic programs in the United States. Uh, This includes traditional academic universities and institutions, and members can also be from non-academic institutions uh, who maintain a residency training program in emergency medicine. Uh, Therefore, we're confident uh, that this is a representative body of uh, the academic experience.
0: The third question we wanted to ask you about, Jennifer, was about administrators. Most of the surveys were completed by department administrators and not the actual individual physicians. Do you think that this is an accurate way to determine physician salaries?
2: That's a great question, uh, and the answer is yes. Often our administrative uh, partners to the chairs of these academic programs Uh, are the ones who maintain uh, the data and information around finance and administration. So actually, we believe that this
1: information is even more accurate because the administrators were surveyed. So let's talk about the excluded year 2014. Why was that year excluded from the study? That's a good question. Uh, And the answer is a survey was not
2: performed that year uh, because the organizations were changing their methodology Uh, they went from insourcing the survey to outsourcing the survey over that period.
0: That's so interesting because, you know, when you're reading through it, I had the exact same question, Esther. I was like, what happened to 2014? Like, where did it go? (laughs) Right. It's always great to speak to one of the authors of the paper because you get a, a much better understanding of just how messy and difficult and complicated research can be. But let's get back to the list. This is number five, and this is about confounders. Is there any reason you can think of that pay differences would be discrepant besides gender. Some examples from a Canadian article on gender pay differences were things like more breast disease patients and rectal prolapse being referred to female general surgeons. These are both lower compensation visits and procedures and thus contribute to lower compensation for female surgeons. Do you think that there's something else going on like that in the emergency department world that could account for these disparities?
2: Uh, That's a good question. We did our best to try to control for covariance that we thought uh, may have influence. Uh, And at the end of the day, what we found is that there's still an inappropriate uh, disparity in salaries that currently exists.
1: Nothing like breast disease or rectal prolapse uh, attributable to our study. So let's talk about the payment scheme. What do you think about a fee-for-service system or an hourly contracted rate of pay system or... Any other solutions that maybe might standardize things and eliminate bias?
2: Uh, That's a great question, Uh, but I think what's challenging about looking at uh, hourly rates or fee for service is that describes only clinical work. Obviously, this is a study uh, of academic programs, and there's great value uh, that we ascribe to academic work. So those type of payment systems uh, would not be appropriate. Certainly, there are some other methodologies uh, that might exist to address pay discrepancies, and that includes standardization of base pay rates based on rank and years of service is just one example.
0: The seventh question we wanted to ask you about was the rise of pay rate. And we talked a little bit about this when we were giving the key results. Because in 2016 and 2017, the women's pay rate was increased. It was almost double. It was something like 7% compared to 4% for the men's rate of increase. Is this continuing, and is this an active intervention to eliminate this gender pay gap?
2: So that's a great question. Uh, We actually found that uh, finding to be one of optimism, that maybe there is a shift that's actually starting to occur. Only time will tell as we go forward to know if this is an actual change uh, or if it just happened to be a non-sustained variable. Obviously, there's more conversation that has occurred nationally, uh, including the Time's Up movement thinking about disparities and uh, creating empowerment for women. And so it will be interesting to see going forward if this is an actual uh, change that can be
1: sustained. Speaking of moving forward, what's the next study for you? Do you think... Tracking salaries, again, or looking at a different aspect of this? So I think to the last question, we certainly are interested in looking longitudinally to see
2: if uh, this recent decrease in disparity is one that is sustained over time. The other thing we're interested in looking at is, are there discrepancies that occur within leadership roles and responsibilities within academic departments? This might include uh, domains of research or educational leadership, operations in quality or administrative roles. Uh, So we hope to look at that over time as the survey has more focused questions um, on those leadership roles.
0: All right, this is my last question. It's number nine. Time's up, Jen. I mean, fix the problem. How do you think this problem of pay gender gap can be fixed?
2: Well, if there's a silver bullet, I would hope that it would have already been applied. But as I described before, I think one easy thing that could be implemented automatically is with the recruitment of new faculty, chairs or their uh, designees could implement a program where there is a standard base pay based on rank and years of service. Now, obviously, this doesn't include total compensation, which might include benefits, resources available to a faculty member, access to protected time, discretionary accounts, relocation bonuses. So all of those things need to be taken into consideration when creating parity. But the answer to the question is not just around recruitment of new faculty, it's how to eliminate these disparities for faculty uh, who are already within a program so uh, at uh, the higher ranks of associate and full professor. Those would require different targeted strategies uh, to create parity and compensation uh, where appropriate for same
1: work, same pay. Is there anything else you'd want to say about your study or the issue of the gender pay gap? I'd just like to encourage those who are listening and
2: who are motivated disturbed or angry about the findings of our study to do an analysis themselves to help better describe the issues related to gender disparities, be it compensation or otherwise across our specialty, because the more information we have to describe the problem, uh, the more opportunity there is to hold folks accountable uh, and to create a solution. Uh, So mine is really a call to those uh, current or budding researchers who are listening to, to get them to uh, help us define better this situation and issue.
0: Okay, Gemmers, you heard the challenge. You're listening. If you're a researcher, take up that mantle and get ready to produce some more research in this important area. Esther, can you comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions?
1: I'd say that we agree with the author's conclusion.
0: Can you give us a bottom line?
1: There continues to be an unexplained pay gap between men and women academic emergency physicians in the United States.
0: So how are you going to resolve that case that you presented at the start with a woman colleague coming to you and talking to you about a disparity in pay?
1: I think it is very reasonable for a woman who discovers an unfair uh, gap in their compensation compared to another peer to take that information to the leadership, um, provide objective data and ask for pay to be equalized uh, across faculty. That might be a good moment to ask for a salary audit across the entire faculty to see if there were other biases that have crept in and led to unexplained and unfair
0: salary gaps. So if I'm hearing you right, you would resolve the case by saying, time's up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's right. That's an accurate two-word summary.
0: How are you going to take this study that Jennifer and her colleagues produced, and how do you apply that clinically? And I know we're not actually applying it clinically, but how do you move forward with this in practice?
1: I think in practice, we all need to be more aware of this persistent pay gap and how it persists despite our best intentions. I mean, I don't think anybody is out there trying to systematically make uh, women earn less than men in emergency medicine or in any other field. But I think we need to look at the data, realize that it manages to creep in despite our best intentions and try to employ means of being more objective and consistent in the way that we allocate compensation. Um, I think we also cannot get away from some surveillance. So I think uh, periodically, doesn't have to be every year, maybe every few years, we need to t- take a good hard look at the way that salary and other forms of compensation are distributed across a group of physicians and make sure that we correct any unexplained differences uh, frequently in order to make sure that we have a safe and equitable environment.
0: So what would be your words of wisdom to your colleague, what would you say to her? How would you advise her to move forward?
1: I would say to not just sit on it. I think it can be really tough to feel that you're not being treated safely and say nothing and then slowly get disenchanted with your workplace because you you feel like you're not valued. And And actually, because these things are due to unconscious bias, I think often the people that you're attributing as devaluing you are doing it and not realizing it. So I, I think we need to make the implicit things explicit and actually, um, and I would encourage the colleague to, to talk about it with the leadership, express concerns and allow them to take corrective action.
0: All right, it's time for the Keener Contest and last week's winner was Cody Martin. They knew the first prototype laryngeal mask was used in a person back in my favorite era, Yes, back in the 80s, 1981. So Esther, do you have a question for us this week?
1: Yes, and I would love to see who knows this. The trivia question is, name the five famous women called the Valiant Five who in 1927 asked the Supreme Court of Canada to answer the following question. Does the word person in Section 24 of the British North America Act 1867 include female persons?
0: Oh, if you know the names of the valiant five who less than 100 years ago challenged the Supreme Court of Canada to answer that question, then you send an email to me, thesgem at gmail.com, with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize.
1: Now it's your turn, SGMers. What do you think of this episode on the Gender Pay Gap? Tweet your comments using hashtag S-Gem Hop, that's SGEMHOP. That's S G E M H O P. What questions do you have for Jennifer and her team? Ask them on the SGEM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in AEM. Also, don't forget those of you who are subscribers to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage to get CME credit for this podcast and article. We will put the process on the SGEM blog.
0: Well, thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the SGEM and talking about your. Hot off the press publication. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Esther, for recording an SGEM hop on the International Women's Day. Thank
1: you for having me here.
0: And now it's time to finish up the show. Jennifer, this is one of the fun parts. You get to give the SGEM tagline and your best Coloradan accent.
2: Well, it turns out that Coloradans don't have an accent. But we do love to ski, so I'm going to pretend like I'm skiing down the mountain, which is one of my favorite things to do.
0: I'm I'm just waiting in anticipation for this. I'm like, are you standing up and skiing now?
2: Can you hear the wind? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on The Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine.
0: Talk to everyone next week.